many years ago, uh, I used to go down there to, on the other side of Macomb uh, to a river called the Bogachitter, and uh, there's a state park down there. And you can rent canoes or tubing if you want to do that. Uh, but I'd rent a canoe, and uh, they'd take you from that state park about seven miles up that river, and there's a bridge down there, and they drop you and your canoe off, and you can float down that river, you know, for about seven miles. It's real pretty, you know, place to, to see. Uh, but, you know, I was always amazed as a sinner at how fast you could get down that river without hardly exerting any effort whatsoever. Just drifting down that river. It's really amazing how fast you can drift and use no effort whatsoever. But I don't think you've got to be a genius tonight to figure out. I'm going to preach to you a warning about drifting tonight. Amen. In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples, they came to Jesus and they showed Him all the buildings of the temple. And Jesus told them that there wouldn't be one stone left upon another, that all would be thrown down. And then the disciples asked Him, When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of Thy coming and the end of the world? Well, Jesus answered their question in His dialogue with them there. And then when He began to close His discourse, He said this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 39. You can turn there if you want to. Jesus said, Now learn the, a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the, son, the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were, were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the, unto the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll just read one scripture there. Verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We read verses 1 through 3. And therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each one of us do need the Holy Ghost here tonight. In the word of the Lord, Father, spoken. I pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would minister Jesus Christ to each one of these hearts, Father. Do awaken us. Talk to us here tonight, Father. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, it seems like one of the most difficult things to do in a time and such that you and I live is, is to awaken the people of God and to get them to take serious the warnings of God. It, it seems like a very difficult thing to do. God in His great mercy and His great concern for the souls of man, He comes often to warn man of the dangers of spiritual apathy. You know, we that preach in the open air, we've often experienced this as we warn unregenerate men of the consequences of neglecting this great salvation. Every one of us know that as we've talked to men. It's amazing, though, that it's, uh, it's such a, a wonder that when God's warnings are spoken to His church, that they're taken so lightly. As lightly as the sinner takes the warnings out there on the street, it seems like. You know, we can hardly pass a day in our life without seeing warnings everywhere around us, both naturally and spiritually. You get in your car and you drive down the road, and what do you see? You see warning signs, sharp curve, bridge out, lanes closed, all kind of warnings like that in the natural. But you know, we, get, we go out there and we begin to talk to sinners about their condition of their soul, and when we leave those sinners from that conversation... We begin to ponder, every one of us, how long can this spiritual blindness continue in this person's life? We think those kind of things when we leave that conversation. In the providence of God, we're brought face to face with those who once walked with God, but now they're backslid and they've become bitter against God and everybody else. Ain't that true? Every one of us meet those kind of things. And then when we leave that conversation, we're left with the impression I don't want to ever become like that in my life. God's trying to warn us as we're trying to warn them. Do you know that? Those are warnings from God as we meet those kind of people. We talk to many professing Christians. Amen? We do. A lot of them, don't we? And when we depart from them, with many of them, we're amazed at the frivolous attitude of heart in those people. We're amazed at it, aren't we? You know, the other night at the last... uh, late night prayer meeting that we had here. The Holy Ghost dealt with me the entire time of that prayer meeting about the soberness of death. That was the whole meeting. That's, that's, that's all that I could be coming to my mind while we was down there praying that night. You know, and I could not recall even one time in the Bible where the subject of death was taken lightly. Not even one time. I couldn't. Maybe you can but I couldn't think of one. I look, I couldn't, can't find any. Everywhere death is talking about, it was all, always a very sober situation. Amen? And God began to deal with me in all of that about the flood during Noah's day. And then that name Methuselah kept coming to my mind over and over during that prayer meeting. Well, that name Methuselah came so repeatedly in that prayer meeting that when I got home that night, I looked that name up to see what it meant. Now, we know that Methuselah... He was the oldest man recorded in the Bible to have lived. He lived 969 years, and he died in the year of the deluge. Now, the many Bible commentators, they say that he died one week before uh, the fountains of the deep and the uh, windows of heaven were opened up. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. They got pretty good uh, conversation about that. It sounds pretty good, uh, but I don't know whether that's true or not. But according to God's Word, we know that He did die not very long before the flood of Noah's day. 
But when I looked up the meaning of the name Methuselah, I was amazed at the mercy of God upon that wicked generation and giving them such an undeniable warning in the meaning of that man's name. That man's name, Methuselah, had three meanings to that name. Now, you've got to dig to find these things too. And I want you to please understand about this. All those people in Methuselah's generation, they knew what his name meant. It wasn't a mystery to them. They knew what that name meant. The first meaning of that name is, it shall come. And that was speaking particularly of the flood. That's what it was speaking of. The second meaning of that name was, as a dart. And the third meaning of his name was, bringing death. So the name of the Methuselah basically means, the flood shall come as a dart, bringing death. That's what his name meant. And yet for all the preaching and all the warning of Noah, and now the oldest man ever that lived dies, and his name is a final warning to that generation, they continued as they had ever done before. Busy about life. Careless. Ever hearing and even seeing the warnings of God. And yet those warnings never took a root just went by time after time after time. You know, that's why I was so troubled at that funeral the other day. Now, I'll get the, the mean man of the ward year, you know, for this year when I say this, but I don't care, you know, because God spoke to me down here that night. But, you know, it seemed like to me at that funeral the other day that 50% of that funeral was so frivolous, so levity, so much funny. That's what it seemed like to me. I didn't laugh one time because God dealt with me the night before that altar about the soberness of death. Amen? Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I, I know that the death of the saints, that's not, you know, uh, defeat. I know that we that are in Christ, we've got hope. But as I stated earlier, I couldn't recall even one time in the Scriptures where the subject of death was taken lightly, not even one time. If you find one, please come tell me. I'd, I'd like to know about it. All of this shows us, I believe, just how far that this generation has drifted from the purpose of God and from the person of God Himself. I believe that's part of what showed us. It spoke something to me. Now, as a Christian, or as, as I mentioned in the beginning of this message, as a Sinner, I was amazed at how far and how fast you could drift down that river and without any hardly any effort at all. But when I became a Christian, I became troubled about something else about that. I became troubled about the difficulty of turning around and then trying to make up all that lost ground that you just lost. I begin to be troubled about that right there. You know, it's impossible for a man in his own natural strength to paddle upstream of that swift river for very many miles and overcome that river. Amen? Well, it's just as impossible and more so for us in our natural wisdom or in our natural strength to regain what's been lost at Pentecost, since Pentecost. Amen? We have to have a move of God, and yet God's never going to move in supernatural power in our midst without us diligently seeking Him. Amen? 
God's not going to restore that which has been lost until you and I confess we're the ones that lost something somewhere along this trail. Amen? Somewhere we've got to confess. I lost something that I had once back there. Amen? Something's different from today than it was at the day of Pentecost. In our text we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, they will say and read it again. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That little phrase, this know, that implies oh so much more than a head agreement, my brethren. It implies that we have the mind of Christ. And that only comes from a mighty infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 20, At that day you shall know. Know what? That I am in my Father, that ye are in me, and that I am in you. Well, that what day was Jesus talking about here? Well, He's talking about the day of Pentecost when 120 waiting and obedient disciples of Jesus Christ were baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Who can doubt that on that day, suddenly, those people knew something? It knew something that changed everything about their life and it changed the lives that they came in contact with. Amen? Something happened on that day. Amen? Well, a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost, it would utterly change us also and we would truly live a God, or truly, we wouldn't, but I messed up here. Hold on. And we would, we would awaken us to the times in which we're living in. And instead of a whole lot of natural preparation for the last days, we spend a lot of time on our knees in heart preparation. Amen? Then, when the Holy Ghost began to move and to begin to speak, we would be alive to His dealings and we would be swift to make the necessary changes in our life. One of the chief reasons that people are so unresponsive to God's warnings and they're so slow to obey the dealings of God is the lack of truly being filled with the Holy Ghost. They think they're filled, but they're not. You know, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. It fits right here. Years ago, I was invited to go with Brother Clinton to another country to a conference and. uh they invited me to come. I was glad to go, you know, just tag along there and listen. Uh, that's all I was doing. I wasn't doing nothing else, you know. And uh, I was their guest. And uh, I didn't want no trouble. Uh, please believe me. I ain't going looking for no trouble. I'm trying to stay out of any kind of trouble. But we get there, and Brother Clinton, he began to preach. And I'm telling you, it was so good. He began to make Jesus so real. I couldn't contain myself. I mean, I'm shouting amen and hallelujah the whole time. But I'm pretty much by myself. There's nobody else making the move, you know. Nothing's happening. Just me shouting and saying hallelujah and amen. And, you know, and oh, after a few services of that, Brother Clendenin, I don't know whether he's concerned or aggravated. I don't want to put nothing in his mouth, no words in his mouth. But he began to deal with them. He began to tell them how dead they were. How they ought to be responding to the message of God. And, you know, well, they, they're terribly afraid of him, but they ain't afraid of me. So uh, they grab me after every time he says one of those little things. He gets up, he's preaching three or four times a day. And after every one of them messages, he's rebuking the fire out of them. And they're coming to me. And they're beginning to tell me, well, you know, you Americans, y'all like this and y'all like that. And y'all like this and y'all like that. That's why y'all do this and we don't do that. And they, they just went on and on. I didn't say a word. I'm telling you the truth. I'm their guest. I don't want no trouble. I'm 
trying to stay out of trouble, you know, trying to be a good guest there, you know. And that just went on and on. And every day it's getting hotter and hotter in there with him, you know. And he's really bearing down on them about it. And they keep on coming to me. And it got toward the end. And, uh, well, it, trouble came. And I, I couldn't, uh, I, I believe God gave me something to say. I didn't try to make trouble, but trouble came anyway, you know. And they came to me and started saying all that stuff again. I said, just hold on just a minute now. You haven't told me this every day. Y'all come here and say the same old stuff. And, you know, and, but I, I just want to tell you a story in the Bible. And they said, what's that? And I said, well, do you remember when uh, Mary came to Elizabeth and she began to tell her about she's pregnant with the life of Jesus Christ? And how, how John the Baptist in his mother's womb leaped. I said, you know what he did? He heard a message about Jesus. He heard a message of life. And he responded in his mother's womb. I said, do you know why? They said, why? I said, he's full of the Holy Ghost. And I ended the conversation and that was it. They never said another word to me. That was the end of it. I'm telling you, brethren, the lack of response to the Holy Ghost is a lack of truly being filled with the Holy Ghost. We can say we are, but when we're lack of really responding to God, when we're slow to obey, there's something wrong in that heart. We're not really filled with God's Spirit. We're not walking in the Spirit. We're not living in the Spirit. We're walking in the flesh and living after the flesh. The spiritual man, he hears the things of God, and he is easily responsive to those things. Amen. So uh, examine yourself on that one. But you see, it is entirely possible to go through all the motions of a church life and yet never really know God or know His purposes for your life. And we see this when we read the rest of Paul's warning to the young evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read the rest of that warning that he gave there in verses 2 through 7. You can turn there if you want to. He said, for men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're ever agreeing with the truth. Do you know that? They're ever talking about the truth. Do you know that? They're ever making truth a part of their life. But they're never making truth all of their life. They're never in full possession of truth. And truth really never possesses them. Amen. All of this is because of these kind of people that drift away from the person of God without ever recognizing how far they've drifted. They don't realize how far they really are. Now I want to really come here to this part. This is the real purpose of this message from here on out. If you slept through the first part, please listen to the last part here. This is where I want you to listen. 
And I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a number of questions in this message, but I want to ask you this one. This one is the important one. What is causing us to drift? What has caused us to drift? What's happened to us that was so severe that it caused us to drift? Or what is so important in our lives that it caused us to drift from the person of Jesus Christ? But to help us answer our question, I want to talk about one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. And this story is so familiar, even our young children know it very well. It's the story of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And as we know, these young men, along with a multitude of other Jews, they were led captive into Babylon. But on their way to the captivity, God spoke to them by the prophet Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 29, we'll read verses 10 through 14. God said this to them, on their way into the captivity. He says, For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Now, God wanted to do these people good all the time. I believe that. He's a good God. But God knew there's something terribly wrong in the hearts and the lives of his people during that time. Therefore, he led the whole nation into captivity until they would learn their lesson and learn it well. This prophecy here, it was meant to be an encouragement to all of those that was being led captive into Babylon. I'm rather convinced that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah had heard this prophecy at least secondhand, if not heard it firsthand from the mouth of Jeremiah. And sad as it often is the case, they were among the few that gave the more earnest heed to the things that they had heard from God. And because they gave the more earnest heed to the things that they had heard from God, they were kept by the power of God through faith, through all of their captivity in Babylon. They faced these men... Oh, excuse me, I don't believe that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were a part of the apostasy, but they suffered right along with all of their backslidden brethren. Right. Amen. They faced circumstances that few people have ever faced in their lives, and they overcame. Amen. Very few overcame what these men went through. As we read in the first chapter of Daniel, these four young men, among others, were chosen to stand before the king and after three years of preparation. And we can gather from verse 3 that they were made eunuchs as they were given to the master of the eunuchs until the time appointed. Amen. You know, I'm not going to go into great detail on this point for obvious reasons, but that right there would be one of the most difficult circumstances that a man would ever face in his life. 
They know that this means I'm never going to have a wife. I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to have a family like everybody else does. They know what this means when they go into Babylon. On top of that, they were separated from their parents. And they were separated from all other godly influence in their lives. And now they're facing this terrible ordeal of being forcefully made a eunuch against their will. It'd be one thing if they chose to be a eunuch unto God by their own will, but that's not the case here. Their manhood is being defiled to the extreme. But I want you to remember, this is happening to them in the very beginning of the captivity. Not in the middle, not in the end. This is the very beginning of what's happening to them. They don't know it. But there's more to come. The intensity of the warfare, it's only going to increase as time goes on while they're in captivity in Babylon. And if they fail here, they're going to fail everywhere else. They'll never pass a test if they don't get this one right, right here. Not only were they made eunuchs against their will, taken from their parents and all separated from all godly influence, but now they're going to be schooled and, and by in the learning and the language of the Chaldeans. And I want both you parents and you children here tonight to ponder this for a moment here. Would you pass such a test? Just think about it for just a minute. You know, many people say, well, you know, I'm not facing that test, so I don't have grace for it. I don't know whether I would or not. Well, I want you to think about this for just a moment, please. One day, these young men and their parents are sitting together at the supper table enjoying a nice supper. And the next day, they're being led captive into Babylon, and they're separated It happened suddenly. It came upon them suddenly. Just like the flood came during Noah's day. It came suddenly. Amen. Don't think for one minute that this could never happen in our beloved country of America. Amen. This wicked nation is presently under the judgment of God. And anything like this could happen. Don't be surprised. And what's down the road, my friend? You're deceiving yourself if you're not preparing yourself and your family for some very difficult times ahead, my friend. You know, the best student that I ever had in all the schools that we ran, he was a young man from the Ukraine. Uh, he not only uh, had knowledge, but he had the best spirit of any student, one of the best spirits I've ever even met in anybody, anywhere. He just was just had a very good spirit about him. And you could just talk to him about Jesus all day long. It just flowed. You could feed him all day long. He could feed you all day long at the same time. He was a very good student, you know. But uh, he told me in the Ukraine, this was years ago when he was a young man, that uh, all the pastors, not all of them, but a good number of them, began to just disappear. And uh, he said, you never saw them and you never heard from them ever again. They just one by one would disappear. Well, his father was a pastor, and this student, he was the youngest, I mean the oldest of the 11 children in his family. 
And he told me, he said, my father wrote me a book. He didn't write me some pages, he said. He wrote me a book of instruction. And not only did he write me a book of instruction about what I was supposed to do if he disappeared, but he took that book and he went over that book and those instructions multitudes and multitudes of times preparing me, he said, for the day that he would be taken away. Well, thank God for him. His father never did get taken away from him. But you know, even in the midst of that, that man, that wise father, he raised up a wise disciple of Jesus Christ. He prepared that young man for many things that he would face in his life. Are you that prepared, my friend? So right now, I'll ask again. Are you walking so close with Jesus Christ that you would overcome such a test? Suppose the children in this assembly were to be taken away from their parents and they'd be placed in the worst school in New Orleans. They'd be taught all the ways of the heathen and all the language of the gangster. And you'd never see them again. Would you as a parent, would you overcome? Would you children here today, would you overcome? Would you remember the things that you've been taught, you've heard? Would you overcome in your Babylon? Amen? Or would you become bitter and begin to blame God or blame others for your dilemma? I'm sure that these young men and their parents, they heard that voice of that devil blame God thousands of times as they're in that captivity. Yet it was written of Daniel there that he had an excellent spirit. And that was written about Daniel many years after he had been in captivity in Babylon. Many of you children here, you've been given Bible names that have meanings to them. Amen? Well, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their names had meanings, and it all concerned God, the meanings of their names. Their parents had given them these names to point them to Jehovah. That was the whole reason their parents gave them these names. Yet when they entered into Babylon, their names were changed immediately. The name Daniel, it means God is my judge. And his name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means the treasurer of Baal, or the depository of secrets or treasure, meaning that Baal knows all secrets and Baal has all treasure. Okay? The name Hananiah, it means the Lord Jehovah is gracious. Well, his name was changed to Shadrach, which means command of a coup. And a coup was a Babylonian moon god. And his name basically means law of the moon god. Pretty much direct opposite of his former Jewish name. Amen. The name Michelle, it means he who comes from God. And his name was changed to Meshach, which means he who belongs to the goddess Shishak. Hmm. And the name Azariah means Jehovah is my helper. And his name was changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nego or the helper of Nego. Amen. All right. He was, Nego was just another one of the Babylonian gods. All of their names were changed in Babylon to get their focus off of Jehovah and get their focus on these other gods. Now, suppose that we would take one of these Joshua's in here tonight. 
and we would name him Joshua. The mean Joshua, it means Jehovah saves. And we would take that Joshua and we would name him Lucifer saves. Think about that for just a minute now. Or we would take one of these Hannahs in here tonight, and Hannah means favored or graced, and we would change her name to Jezebel. You think about that for just a minute now. Huh? Do you suppose that would have any effect upon that child or that person as their name was changed? I guarantee you that it would affect them greatly unless they made a supreme effort and they supremely purposed in their heart to glorify Jesus with their whole being every day of their lives. The Bible tells us that Daniel purposed in his heart right. not to defile himself. That's right. <laughs> didn't matter if they changed his name or not. He's got the purpose of God in his heart. That's I'm right. not going to change. I'm not going to be defiled by this system of Babylon. To purpose in your heart is the direct opposite of drifting. Amen? To drift, if you drift, it is certain that you're going to compromise and you're going to be defiled. That's a certain outcome of drifting. But if you purpose in your heart to honor Jesus Christ with your whole life, then you'll be kept from the destroyer and you will be an overcomer in your generation. Not only did these four men perhaps face some of the most difficult times of persecution and the greatest pressure that's ever been known to mankind, but they also overcame during the time of promotion from the king. Amen? Both sides of it. And that right there, my friend, is possibly one of the greatest or most successful tools that the devil has ever used to swallow up men's souls. He brings them into peace and prosperity. Or a time of promotion. In Babylon, there was every kind of worldly and sensual pleasure. Amen? But in the king's palace, there's not only that times a thousand, but now there's the temptation to make a name for themselves. Amen? Something new they've got to face. It was during that time of peace and prosperity that many who passed these tests of persecution, they begin to stumble. They begin to fail as they drift away from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just before Israel entered into Canaan, God warned them concerning a time of peace and prosperity. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we'll read verses 7 through 11. <laughs> for the Lord God, for the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of all olive and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and are full, when thou, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he get, hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. And then look at verses 18 through 20. 
It says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Now I believe these, these four young men, I believe they had often heard and read this warning to Israel in their days as Jews back in Israel. I believe they'd heard the prophets talk about it, the rabbis in the synagogue, their parents talked to them. If they was able to get the scriptures, they was able to read it themselves. I believe they knew about these warnings to Israel. And by giving the more earnest heed to the things that they heard, they overcame in a time of peace and prosperity where so many have fallen before. Now I want to close by asking another question. Amen. Did Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah overcome and glorify God in their generation because they were smarter than everyone else? Or perhaps was it because they had more money or they had more influence than others? I don't believe anybody in here thinks that's true. Amen? The Bible declares that these men were faithful. That's what it says about them. Faithful to what? They were faithful to God and the things they had heard from God. Amen. Amen. Come spend a little time praying, talking to Jesus.
my sins are washed away to the heavens mercy's reign His precious blood shed just for me I will rise from waters
I was forced to paddle up the Roanoke River for 30 kilometers. Took 14 hours in a rubber raft uh, with several other soldiers in my platoon. And uh, I was 22 years old, in the best shape, unquestionably, of my life. And uh, I thought I was going to die. In fact, in the middle of the night, as we were uh, paddling upstream, I, I, I was thinking of ways I could feign, you know, passing out and, uh, you know, rolling off into the water and act like I was drowning. That was something, I mean, I was a soldier full of pride, but uh, it was so difficult to try to, uh, you know, row upstream. And, the, and the, you know, the flow of that river was about like the Mississippi River. And you may, you know, look at that river and the current doesn't seem that strong and it may seem like, you know, I could, I could fight that. I could go upstream. It wouldn't be that difficult. But uh, even a current like that, it's, it's overwhelming. You know, it's a lot easier to lose ground in the spirit than it is to recover. It's a lot easier to fall off a mountain than to climb a mountain. Amen. And whatever we lose in the spirit, it's a difficult battle to regain. Amen. God forbid that we should lose ground. Amen. And God forbid that we wouldn't take, take heed to what the spirit of God is telling in this, telling us in this hour. And he's warning us over and over. And we know this is not just from the pulpit. We know this as we just read the Bible, as we look around, as we engage with sinners, and as we see what's happening in our country, we know that there's going to be incredible tests in the future for us. It's time to press in. Amen. It's not time to lose ground. It's not time to drift. It's time to recover any ground that you've lost. Amen. May God give us ears to hear what the Holy Ghost is saying to us in this hour. Amen.